Good evening, travelers of the night. Tonight, Roll for Impact ventures further down the path of righteousness. In the same path tread by many in the Saurus Testimonium, I'm your dungeon master, Wesley, but you can call me Wes. In the last episode, we met a lovely, peaceful group of... What should we call them, if not cultists? Led by Eric Halverson, an old colleague of Nihilus. The years haven't been kind to him, though, as he believes, he's on a mission from God to write a ritual with the blood of those willingly sacrificed congregants of his. Today, we're joined by Shane as Trevor, Slim as Valadin, Ari as Esperanza, Matt as Nihilus von Stonen, and Asteria as Dr. Isadora Glass. Without further ado, let's begin the next session of The Stranger. Again, and again, and again, and again. It wasn't all too long ago that we met Valadin, a fifth member of our group, hastily added when the party met an equally as unique and eclectic Cogsworth, an engineer hoveled below the Salted Stout Inn. Why he's there, we don't really know too much about that. At a time that the party needed somewhere to hide, his hidey hole was the one that was chosen. And we met Valadin there, a machine, a conscious one, a unique and interesting personality to match that of Cogsworth. When the party entered, as with anybody... I'm sure Cogsworth made assessments and judgments. And I'm curious to know, when they first entered, what was on Valadin's mind? Valadin's comfortable routine in Cogsworth workshop of looking after the old tinkerer would have been interrupted by the bickering party having come out of what appears to be a troubling situation. Trying to resolve it. For a moment, Baladin sees the companions he had alongside with when he tried to find some meaning in the world, some meaning to his world, some meaning to him. It wasn't long after that the party has left, taking Baladin along with them. But just before that, Cogsworth had gone up to Valadin and had a sidebar conversation, one in secret from the group. And he had said to you, Valadin, you can't spend all of your time here with me. We know your situation. As he handed you a device wrapped in a cloth, 
you know this device. It had been worked on by Cogsworth for many months, and even that wasn't enough. Intended to replace your power source, which was constructed long before people like Cogsworth existed, long before the island of Crowperch even existed. A power source that is unlike anything that the world has dreamt up so far. Yes, we have sunstones, but they're limited in what they can supply, and to power an entire conscious automaton like yourself, none would suffice. Yet Cogsworth tried. Months were spent creating this battery, and toward the end it became apparent it wouldn't be sufficient. It wouldn't power you for long enough to be practical or useful. So as he hands it to you, what do you want to do for your last days? Baladin will hold up the small sunstone battery towards one of the lanterns lighting up the workshop as it shines on his face. I was quite comfortable spending it here looking after you. But in a way, I was fooling myself. For a long time, I felt like a tool was out of use. Carrying dreams, nightmares, a mix of memories, alone without meaning. I went out 30 or so years ago to find some meaning, and I did not find it. And that eccentric group, I see a chance of perhaps finding it. This might be my last shot at doing so. Well, then I encourage you to. I'm an old man, but I can take care of myself, and I was able to do that long before you arrived here. So, as my last request to you is leave, Baladin. Get out of here. I have no more use for you. You've served your purpose. He puts his hand on your shoulder. As a true friend. Perhaps I have changed a little bit of the world. Thank you, Cogswell. Friend, consider it done. No program. Later, you were sitting among this new set of friends. You overheard a conversation between Trevor and Dr. Glass, one that happened after everybody would have gone to bed. And in that conversation, you heard of Trevor's medical condition, his limited time left in the world, his curse, some might say. And though you weren't in the room, standing outside, what was going through Valadin's head? His processor. Valadin would have kept the information to himself. Not one, two... 
involve himself too deeply into other situations without being invited to. And he would have seen it as simply one more gear in the world. Much like his own. Everything ends. Why, though, is the question he would go over and over inside his mind. Later, Valadin was in the birdcage in the flyover. You noticed at the time your power starting to dwindle, the last bit in the old battery. You head to the bathroom of this device and unwrap the crude battery that was made by Cogsworth. And as you had inserted it, removing the old one, you noticed everything was a little slower. The lights were dim, you might say. Once he inserted that battery and you felt the light of your eyes flicker for a moment, the void of eternal darkness beckoning before disappearing again, he turns to exit the bathroom, move back into the common space where you can overlook all of Crow Perch and these new temporary friends you have made. And you have access to here the entire view over the island, all of these people. As he stepped out of that bathroom, what was going through his head? Having experience so recently once more looking into the nothing the nothing that surrounded him before being activated the nothing that was there when a bomb knocked him unconscious in his help of the above born against the nobles beneath the citadel He's reminded of Cyrus' final moments, the futility of it all, as he looks at the island that has grown even more so in the 80 years he has been activated. Nothing's changed, and the longer he is with his new group of friends, the more he feels that nothing will change, try as he might, a small cog among the gears of the world ever moving forward. Nihilus, standing before you is Eirik Halverson, and he looks to you as if beckoning a response. You hear a whir that had been constantly audible around you, the mechanical turns and shifting of the gears within Valadin, that whir, that ambient noise that has followed you all this time, has gone silent. Eirik looks to you as if waiting a response as to whether or not you will undertake this ritual. But everybody in the room, Valadin, as they look toward you, what do they see? Valadin would have been sitting down, standing straight, 
with his back against the wall as he's often to do, having never grown weary doing such things. But the group would have been surprised by the soft, humming sound of his gears beneath his armor, barely noticeable unless you're paying attention to them. And suddenly stop as his head slumps forward and he bends over. Nihilus, I want it to be you, but I understand if it shouldn't be. Uh, he looks over. Is your friend okay? Yeah, is he all right? Valadin? Hey. She's gonna reach over and give him a little shake on the shoulder. As you shake his shoulder, the body being propped up just by a precarious perch slumps further and falls down to the ground. It's completely dark, cold, and lifeless. She's gonna take a, a, a quick step back as he falls. Paladin? Uh, he, he's, he's cold. Does it... Does that... Does that mean the same thing for him as it does? But when we... Like, is, is he... She's looking all around at everybody as if she's expecting them to have the answer that she does not. Eric, a, a moment. Valadin, are you alright? Nihilus proceeds to approach. Perhaps try to get a sense of what's going on. He gets closer, tries to inspect the material. The, does he hear anything? Feel anything? Nothing. It's a heavy bag of gears. By the gods. I think I would still have detect thoughts up from when I uh, was using it with Eirik. Could I transfer it to Validin? Validin shows no sign of tether. It's as inanimate as any object in this room. She looks at everyone and says, I don't know how his mind works, but I don't sense anything. Uh, well, you know, maybe he's... Just does he run on fuel? Does Is he broken? What, what is going on here? It's a sign. Eirik moves forward, putting his hand on Valadin's chest. A sign of what? Saurus works in mysterious ways, and it's no coincidence that he falls here before us. It's a sign that we should persevere. Pop. Possibly, I... Is he like my echo light? Could I... Does he run off a sunstone? I could pop mine in. I don't know how any of this works. Trevor, you know I'm bad with these things. I, I don't know. I, I... I don't even know what where to start with this kind of stuff. Uh, you're saying... What? That uh, Saurus decided that he should just die? Just fall dead? Look, I, I've studied him. Studied him. I've asked him questions numerous times. I, I, 
went through his own numeric mechanical inventions. I don't think he himself was aware. He never mentioned he needed a rest. If this is a sign of Saurus, I wonder what he's trying to tell us in the first place. Is is that how is that how it works? Is is that how Saurus works? What we have is an empty vessel. One that perhaps doesn't require the sacrifice of another to inhabit with this and he puts his hand onto the book in the room this ritual this spirit this what I've created here perhaps it's not you Nihilus but this one while they're talking about this uh, Dr. Glass would just like to do an investigation or medicine check to see if she can very quickly figure out how Validin is powered. And again, the only thing she knows is her echo light works off a of sunstone. Roll investigation. Uh, and while she's rolling, Esper's going to move towards Trevor and look up to him and say, he, he's not like us, like in, in body, but he's still he's still a person. We can't let him we can't let him be used for this. That's a nineteen investigation. With a nineteen, you investigate his chest, somewhat in the area where the heart is supposed to be, you find one piece of him that is removable. A sunstone that has been engineered in a very strange way to seem more dense. It flickers with a dim light as if it's been fully depleted. It's dead. And it doesn't look like he could be brought back. So I can't just pop in my double-A sunstone from my echo light and get him uh, back up. No. It was... I I had to check. Eric... I do agree this is no mere coincidence how to talk me through it first it was me then it was Dr. Glass and now it is Valadin how exactly would this ritual work what is required of it I know you mentioned part of a soul but now that there's an empty vessel perhaps how could that change in the equation how are the calculations done No sentient being exists without a soul. And Validin seemed as sentient as they come. I think in lieu of what seems to be a living being, we can use that one and not harm any living creature before it's too late, before he floats into the ethereal, endless night. Trevor, as an inhabitant of this world, would he know that, and he wouldn't know mechanically that, like, clerics have healing spells, but he would know that there are holy men capable of healing wounds, correct? Certainly. Uh, they've It's been done before. Miracles are performed more regularly than not, though 
the magic and power to perform them is somewhat more rare. Trevor uh, kind of erratically uh, turns over to Nihilus because you're just going to let this happen? You're just going to let just let someone who fought alongside us just drop dead and, and, and act like it ain't nothing? It's a look of despair on Nihilus's face. And he looks back at Trevor. And, Trevor, I... I don't understand his nature. I don't know what to do, but if he looks, he tries to look past the look that is Irik giving him right now, and he looks back at you specifically, Trevor. Trevor, we have to choose between trying our best with this opportune moment or another another person. What would you pick? Bullshit. Don't, don't hear me wrong. I agree with what you're saying. He's, he's our comrade. He's our friend. Don't regard him as a tool or, or butler or anything like that. Try, trying to be realistic here. Look, look, <laughs> look, bef- be- Eric, please. Before we perform the ritual, I, I hear what you're saying. Time is of the essence. Please, can I try my way first? See if there's any magic I can detect on him. Anything fleeing. Try to ritually identify his being. If he is indeed an item, like you're proposing, like any other ordinary thing in this room. Let me try to identify what is going on with him. Nihilus, I greatly respect you. And out of that respect... Yes, of course. Try, but if your plan fails, allow me to complete what I was put on this earth to do. And as you just finish the ritual, identifying a pile of scrap might give you a similar outcome. All right. I mean, you said it yourself, looking over at Irik. You say you don't believe in coincidences? Me neither. Right? Although, you seem to think that that is some, uh, what, providence? God's will? Just made him drop dead? Yes. Of course. I think it's a little more normal than that, if you would ask me. I think you were just looking for an excuse didn't want to kill off one of your faithful looks over at uh, Nihilus and you saw an easy way out you saw something that maybe could have been not as missed less than mortal and like any good manipulator you saw us only for what we could do and then you sit behind and hide behind this saurus it ain't providence it's murder perhaps and I do think Trevor has a point Irene there is a sign in there after all you had told me that there's a sort of combination required 
to create, to elevate someone to our status more than one soul. It wouldn't make sense to take one soul from Valadin and turn it into someone of your stature. Perhaps this sign was from Soros about the folly of taking a random follower, a normal person, and trying to create someone as special and anointed as yourself. Perhaps this is a sign saying that a more valuable sacrifice is needed. Roll persuasion. I'll roll persuasion. That was an 11 persuasion. I believe you. Rather, I believe that you believe this, but I also believe that this is a time for those who have put in the work for Saurus. In the worst case, he doesn't stand again. But in the best, perhaps we bring back something greater. Uh, you see, uh, from the corner of the room, Trevor kind of stewing, leaning up against the wall. Uh, you can tell from the look on his face, though he is wordless, he's said his piece already, uh, that he is hating every second he's in this thing. Uh, as someone who's only true, like, perceived uh, contribution is his size and uh, force of body and will, to be... He wants to rush this guy down and beat him to a pulp. And it's only the word of Nihilus and Dr. Glass that is keeping him there. He feels like he wants to just leave, and the other half of him wants to rush and kill this man. Esper is not somebody who is familiar with religion. They do not know what was going on, and they only know that this feels very wrong. But they remember the conversation that they were having before Eric interrupted them, and that in Esper's eyes, the book is the key to this ritual. So while they are still among this state of confusion and a bit of fear, they're slowly listing and moving a little towards through the crowd to angle themselves a little bit closer to Eric as time goes on. Not like attempting to brazenly step out amongst the crowd, but they are using their having spent so much time in the presence of manipulators, they know the best way to play their cards is to manipulate by being seemingly afraid and unsure and unsmart. So they are trying to seem like they don't really know where they're going when they do it. You can do so. You take some steps closer towards the altar. There's a staircase right at the front. Um, I would say you could get to the bottom of it without rousing suspicion. She will do so. Can you just remind me, Wes, 
So we're at the altar, and are any of are the followers inside, or is it just us and Eric? You look behind towards the entrance to this room, to this temple. You see the followers have gathered quietly on the other side of that hallway. They look solemn while they wait. All right, Eric, give me my shot. If we all convinced, indeed, you can perform the Enlightenment ritual on Valadin without harming someone, you have my full support. I understand the progress you've done to create this place as he looks around. I might not have come to the same conclusion as you, but I do recognize you as an Inquisitor. Let me be your assistant in this. Of course. He gestures to you. Come, Nihilus. Let's speak to Soros as he holds his hand out at the top of the stairs. Nihilus follows. You make your way towards the top where he grabs your hand and brings you to the other side of the altar and looks towards the lifeless mechanical body of Valadin. He begins as he picks up the book and begins reading from the words written there in the blood of the willfully and willingly sacrificed followers. Vita Eterna Ad Nos Revenre Spiritus Ex Umbra Lux Sugere In Nomine Sacri Animum Vocare Batum Renisi Mortem Supirare The lifeless mechanical body begins to float a little bit in the air. Eric, you're sure about this? Nihilus, great powers have given this opportunity today. I'm sure. I've devoted my life to Saurus, and it's... He looks over at the floating body. It's working. He tries to accept the magic. First, then, upon looking around the open room, Esper's going to look towards Dr. Glass first, and then Trevor, as she inches toward the stairs. Dr. Glass just looks miserable, standing there. She's at the gone to the bottom of the stairs. She's not worried about being perceived. She thinks Irik would allow her. She's gone to the bottom of the stairs, and she's standing there with her cane, shaking her head like... She wants it to not work. Uh, Wes, does she feel anything, like, in her mind as it's starting? Dr. Glass specifically, you remember seeing the dark sun when you were in that dream with the cast of Midnight Whispers. That presence at the time was a visual representation of a feeling of something else present. And that feeling seems to grow stronger. That presence seems to go grow closer. You could almost turn around and be standing behind you, whatever it is, but 
It never is. That's how you feel. She needs to know what's going to happen, but she doesn't want to know what's going to happen. She doesn't want it to be like this, but she can't be such a hypocrite that she's going to deny what's happening. As Trevor and Esper exchange the look, and as they start to slowly indicate towards the stairs, Trevor starts to uh, walk over to you, Esper, uh, and trying to get down, uh, not so much that it's like obvious that they're exchanging words, but kind of in hushed tones, uh, he will say, We can't let this happen. How about an old tactic that I used to use in the Black Bulls? Decoy. You're smaller. Quicker. Just stay out of sight. I'll see if I can't cause a distraction. I'll do my best. Yeah. We can't... We can't let it happen. I've got it. I'm going for the book. Trevor is uh, going to slowly start to back off from Esper. Turning around. And uh, stretches his neck out slightly. Takes a deep breath. This is insane. And he's just going to start to run his way towards the stairs. Aura Celestis, but wait, what are you doing? It's been happening on my watch as he is still running. Is there uh, any commotion going on within the congregation? The congregation was quietly perched in the other room, but now as you run up the stairs, you see they start to stand and you hear muffled panicking sounds coming from the other side. Uh, start to ascend the stairs uh, and looking over at Nihilus I just give a like can't believe it came to this uh, as he starts to uh, make his way towards the floating body of Valadin Nihilus immediately looks back with a proud and disrupted face at the same time and he said god damn it Trevor I needed you to trust me. And he looks towards Eirik and he casts command, disarm. Everybody, please roll initiative. And please open Owlbear. Nihilus, what was your initiative? A good old three. I put it in chat as well. Trevor? Uh, eight. Esper? Seventeen. And Dr. Glass? 16. Esper. How do we put it? Shit gets real really quick as you're the first to react. What do you do? Sprinting up those stairs, regardless of whether Nihilus succeeds in whatever he's doing or not, she is going for that book. And she is willing to wrestle it out of Eric's hands if she has to. That's an athletics check, if you're trying to pull it from his hands. 
Why, yes, I am. Does it count as a surprise round if, or are we just doing that Nihilus is casting the spell on his turn in initiative? I was wondering about that. Uh, oh, good question. Uh, Nihilus, why don't you go ahead and cast the spell as a surprise round? I would say the rest will happen typically because he can see everybody throughout the process of the ritual. Sounds good. Gotcha. Thanks. So please make me a DC 12 wisdom saving throw on Eirik. That is a 14. <clears throat> you see as his will to hold the book falters for a moment, he looks at his hands as they're shaking and he grabs onto the bindings tighter as Esper. Roll athletics. Yeah, our kind does have advantage on whiz saves. It's a bitch from there, your enemy. I rolled an eight. He, as you grab onto the book, by the way, feel free to move your token in front of him. As you grab onto the book, uh, you begin to pull it and feeling this surge of, of almost divine effort, he grabs tightly onto the bindings and maybe it's the stairs, maybe it's his position, but you're unsuccessful at ripping it from his hands. In fact, he pulls it closer to his chest as he says, if we stop in the middle, I don't know what will happen. And Esper, are you doing anything else? So you have a bonus action if you prefer. I will take it. This man has killed so many people and we learned that because of Valadin, whom he now wants to use. Esper is going to, she's practically on top of him and in those rigid arms as he holds the book. She's going to look at him and her eyes are going to just narrow. And she goes, you're not taking anybody else. Do you, do you hear me? And she is activating rage. You rage. Dr. Glass. Oh, she looks at such a loss. So, Eirik is holding the book tightly? He is, yes. So she extends her shadowy mage hand to Eirik and calls out, Quickly, give it to me. I'll get it to safety. Roll deception. It's a pretty important check, so I'll say this is an action. Uh, that is a dirty 20. Uh Yes, but you have to continue the ritual. If it's up in the middle, I don't know what will happen. And he hands the book to the mage hand. And not having thought about what would happen if that crazy idea worked, she looks to Nihilus about what she should do, because she's not sure what will happen either. Nihilus looks back. He, he thinks for a moment and a quick reaction. He says, continue. I have a plan. Please, someone, trust me this case, this time. Batum renaski mortem superare. Orai kailesis vim praestare. Excinere et pulvere vitam restorare. O mysterium divinum. Potestastem dare. Per hunk incantationem mortuum excitare. Heavens forgive me. You see as the body of Valadin continues to float in the air. You see a divine light cast from this skeletal chandelier in the center as it seems to be radiating in. And at this point, something is happening and it's going to take some time as he looks over towards those who are in combat with him. 
it's his turn as he's going to hold his action and say, That's it. It's over. Just let it be over. And we're going to go to Trevor. It's your turn. And you can see he's holding an action. Trevor is not down with whatever is happening. Uh, he doesn't know what's going on, and his alarm bells are fucking ring-a-ding-dinging. I'm sorry, I need more than just trust me, bro. Uh, the book has been taken from him. That's the first. I mean, the fact that Dr. Glass is reading the ritual is put out of his mind. But as far as he is concerned, the first uh, component of the ritual has been taken. The second one has yet to be. How high up is Valadin's body? It's about 10 feet up, just around above your eye level. Okay. So, uh, without step of the wind, uh, I can, uh, if I decide to jump, uh, get up and reach to something, uh, as long as I have 10 feet, uh, of running space, which I can definitely back up and get that, uh, with 40 feet of movement. Uh, I can get up and backing up, he's just going to start going <gasps> and then do one leap up into the air and is just going to grab on to the, I mean, I'm assuming the legs of Valadin uh, and is just like dangling from the floating body and is just going to try and drag it back down to earth. Roll athletics. Oh boy. Oh. That is a 12. A 12 is enough to jump up and grab this body and bring it back down. Please additionally roll a wisdom saving throw. Gotcha. That is a natural 20 uh, for 22. You feel as the light from the chandelier from wherever it's coming from hits you. And in this moment, in this moment, you begin to hear the thoughts of Dr. Glass and the priest, Eric. For a moment, you hear the, the rambling of words in their heads, the, the panicking, the thinking of what to do in the scene. It's nothing specific, but it all calls out to you at the same time until it's suddenly severed and the body falls to the ground and the light is extinguished instantly as that whatever happened has dissipated immediately. Just landing with a thump, I'm assuming Valden's body just like laying on top of me. Just goes... God damn! Just everyone shut the fuck up for two seconds! And it's just gonna shove off uh, Valden's body to the side. Slowly start to get his feet. And as he does so, I'm assuming that's enough for an action. Uh, he is going to uh, use... Mm, should I? I probably... Uh, I mean, this guy's probably not gonna take a swing at me. He's probably got other tricks up his sleeve. Uh, he is just going to, you want know to fuck it. Uh, he's going to pick up Valadin's body, uh, up onto his shoulder. Uh, am I able to do that with all of my movement? 
I would say, yeah, with your movement, you could pick him up. Certainly. Okay. Then with the jump, with the run up, he's probably close to out of movement. Uh, he is going to use uh, his bonus action and use Step of the Wind. Uh, and while still carrying Valadin, making his speed only 20 feet, uh, he is booking it as far from Eirik as he can. Now, standing at the end of the hall of this room is a number of congregants who seem to be a bit like cowering, but they are blocking that way. You'd have to barrel your way through those people. You probably wouldn't get there in this turn, but let me know, is that something Trevor is ready to do? Uh, yeah, he's ready to throw down. He won't try to kill them, but he'll definitely try to punch them out. Okay, so I'll say with your movement, you get towards the entryway of the hallway on this turn. Okay. And Nihilus, you're up. Nihilus, on his turn, seeing everything that's happened, he puts his spellbook down into the floor. He rapidly goes through the pages. He flutters through them. He shouts aloud to Dr. Glass, continue the ritual, please. Oh, this is the page... He reaches his entire hand in and slashes out this electrical whip, throws with, throws with his might around Eirik and pulls as he casts lightning lure on it. Give me a DC 15 strength saving throw. That is a fail. Please describe it. This lightning lure whips around his body and just instantly gets pulled closer to uh, Nihilus. Uh, Getting into the position of where Valadin was. Dr. Glass, continue the ritual. Esper, hold this man down. Trevor, get Valadin out of here. We're going to perform it. And you, Eirik, will be the last, first, and only sacrifice to this ritual. You will enlighten me the way how it needs to be done. Take four lightning damage, you prick. He takes four lightning damage as you see him shuddering. He is not a strong man. He is incredibly weak. And with that four damage, you see, though, it's still, he's still, you know, not bloodied. Uh, but you see the skin having these lightning abrasions uh, as he's immediately starting to get electrified. Are you doing anything else? He ends his turn with a promising look as he holds his prayer amulet while he looks to the rest of his party to do the rest. He still has not had his held action triggered, by the way, as we go back to mm -hmm. the top of the round. Do I think that uh, the followers heard everything Nyla said and saw all of that? They did. You can tell. There is panicked thoughts and words coming from that side of the room but nobody's taking action um Esper who went along with this lightning lure kind of has they had been on top of Eric basically looks to Trevor and there's this wild look in her eyes like there's, there's not much thought in there there's just emotion and there's anger towards this man and then there's a moment where it stills as she's looking at Nihilus and there's a calmness before she looks down at Eric and moves to pin his arms behind him. You've taken too many. You don't deserve any better. She is going to attempt to grapple him. 
Roll athletics, please. Which I now have advantage on because I'm raging. I has a 19. With a 19, you successfully pin his arms behind his back, this time not met with much resistance. He even seems a bit deflated, uh, though he looks towards Dr. Glass with hope in his eyes because clearly he thinks that she is enlightened and he thinks that she is going to at least execute Soros's will as it is now, unless you're doing anything else, Esper, anything else? Nothing else for me. I'm just doing a little homework on rage so I can remember when it drops. My turn is done. Dr. Glass, it's your turn. Um, you'll never guess what question I have. Uh, can I, uh, in an authoritative manner, tell the crowd of uh, followers to let Trevor pass without it taking up my whole action? It might take some consideration and effort to to convince these followers. So it would be an action to bend their will. So I wouldn't be able to uh, do that and continue the ritual? No, you would have to pick. Okay. I'm going to then instead uh, use my bonus action to give Trevor Bardic. Uh, as like as he goes past me, I will just say out loud but quietly, I'm sorry, Trevor. Whenever we disagree, you always have the right. Good luck. And he has Spartic. I will say, as he's passing through by you, uh, you get a look at him as he's passing. Baladin, like, slumped over uh, his shoulder. You get a look at his eyes, and his eyes are wide and wild, and there is the biggest smile on his face as he's running through. <laughs> you can tell this is... He is in the zone right now, and he is like a kid on Christmas. And with your words, it just grows even wider, even brighter. You look back and you see the last passage has translated before your eyes. You can speak it aloud to complete the ritual. I was going to try to brush off my Latin. But no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, heavenly breezes grant strength. From ash and dust combine life. O oh, divine mystery, bestow power. Through this incantation, tether the meek. As you see the body that is being held by Trevor start to glow brightly, this time not tethered to anything like the ceiling, the chandelier. Instead, you see its arms and legs start to twitch like the shaking of a body that has demised, but yet there still seems to be electrical signal. And with that, you note that the incantation is complete. Trevor, you're holding and you feel some small bit bouts of movement as it is now the turn of Eirik. Everybody except for Dr. Glass and Trevor, so Nihilus and Esper, please roll wisdom saving throws. In this moment, uh, you see... Eirik, who I'm about to take the turn for, um, you see he's starting to become pale. That's a wonderful uh, natural nine for an eight. Total of ten. Nihilus and Esper, you see as the skin of Eirik begins to peel, not all too dissimilar from the ritual as Validin had perceived it, as I had described in the last session, as 
strands of skin start to peel away, revealing meat and bone. You see the skull of his face starting to smile. It is a fearful vision, and you are under the effect of fear. He looks at the will of the party to be no longer hostile if you wish to end combat. As Trevor, it's your turn. As, as he seems to ease up in her arms, she's not necessarily letting him go, but she is looking wildly around at everybody else to see what they are doing. He has a one-track mind right now, and his brain can only really handle one track at a time. He is still running, and he is going to, uh, using all of his movement, uh, I think while he's still carrying someone, it's still halved. If at all possible, uh, he is going to use his bonus action once again to step of the wind uh, to take the dash action as a bonus action. Uh, and he's going to move another 20 feet. As you see, for a guy his size, when he wants to move, like his big, thick legs are basically just like and just starts to completely sprint uh, out of the doorway and you hardly see him as he still continues to move another 20 feet. Now, before Dr. Glass, um, you barrel through these people who are in the room. Please roll athletics. Yeah. Uh, that is a 23. Uh, um, I'll keep the inspiration for now. You see, as he's running, he just, his, like, as you see, like, from his point of view, his eyes bulging out, uh, pure adrenaline rush, the words of Dr. Glass in his mind, uh, basically pushing him like a wind at his back and just runs right through. And basically, with Valadin still on his shoulders, clotheslines one of the followers as they try to block him and just keeps barreling through. There is no resistance as they topple over before you and you make your way all the way through the crowd towards the other side of the room. There's nothing between you and the staircase and exit. That said, Nihilus, though you are feared, you also sense that you're not finding resistance from this man who's on the ground. What would you like to do? Seeing how fragile he is currently... Nihilus is going to duck down, holding the spellbook into his hand, this time without even looking. He puts his own hand on it, and he enchants him by saying, You've done your part. May you now rest by source. And cast Charm Person on him. So please make me a DC 14 Wisdom Saving Throw. Technically, he said we're not in combat, right? So it's not a disadvantage. But he has advantage. Yeah. Semantics. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure that he will see us more of an ally and as a friendly manner towards us in case we need to convince anyone else to really put him on our side instead of a neutral side. You see his breath slow. And he calms now, laying under the grip of Esper. The fear that he caused, which will exit combat, the fear that he caused starts to melt away and that 
disgusting visage of skin and flesh and meat and bone fades back into just a man who grows ever more pale by the second. You see his eyes starting to get heavy and droop. And he looks up while being pinned down. I... I... Uh, I... Am... He smiles. Am I... Am I the sacrifice? You've done it, Hyrick. Your hard work. You finally put it into effort. Who else would have been the best sacrifice if not the one who created the ritual and and truly understood it? It had to be this way. Don't you agree? If he has access to a hand while being pinned, he's going to put it onto Nihilus' boot. Of course. You know what they said in the temples. It's an honor to die at the service of Source. And it clearly must be me. I'm glad you understand. Dr. Glass is watching this. And she approaches as best she can, you know, with her limp. And she speaks into Eirik's mind. You told us you were born for this, Eirik. To help our kind. And it's clearly hard for her what she's saying to him. All of this is hard for her. Tell me, Eirik. Have you always had a sense of where you're going? Some star you're bound for? Or do you need a guide? In Soros's faith, I will I will find my way. But Yes, I... I've always felt... I've always felt like there is a path for me. Though... I don't know where it leads, but I have faith that it leads to... salvation. I hope that you... find beauty in this. I reckon I'm... I'm glad I... And she trails off. Yes, I... I I believe... I believe... uh, That... I... Will... And... So does he, as his eyes close. And he's gone. Nihilus stands and holds open his tome. Or actually, he closes it, puts it under his arm. He speaks aloud. 
as his eyes glow a little bit faintly, and suddenly this his voice chamber just echoes so much louder, three times louder, to be in fact, as he speaks to the rest of the followers and says, Listen, all is well. Eirik, father, you've done us the best that you could. He's done the truest sacrifice of them all. He has learned to enlighten us. He has taught us this ritual, this way to continue. Good people of this loving, peaceful compound. He's taught you important manners for peace, how to treat one another. No longer shall the monthly sacrifice be needed. And now continue wherever this is his sacrifice. Don't you understand? You can truly live peacefully together now. It is your chance. But don't let us be in vain. Work together. Be together. Act as a community as you always prize to be. Accept everyone. This is how we can move forward. Don't you agree? You see as there is a calm that falls over the crowd. Some of them picking themselves up from the ground as... They turn to each other, like a room full of children who have just been told that, you know, they're, they're adults now. They look back and you see some understanding nods, not much spoken, as the room gently starts to empty. As the room is emptying, Esper is still sitting there. She's kind of breathing a little heavy. She's looking around wildly. She's not sure exactly what happened. She just knows that there's stillness and softness, despite, you know, softness in the flesh, a little too much. She's watching everyone start to leave. Dagger out right into his skull. To the earth, motherfucker. Stands up. Yanks the dagger out. Esther! He sucked. And then she's just gonna begin to walk down the stairs. Nihilus starts to very importantly collect both of this Inquisitor's tomes. The long created holy ritual one that was used to perform the ritual if of course allowed. If not she's carrying it. Otherwise first he would collect the um, Testimonium Veritas that was on Irik's person. Well, Nightless, how did it go? Are we siblings now? Are you one of us? The night jars or enlightened or nexus bound? I, I'm afraid not. And he speaks this aloud. He doesn't do it in the mind. I'm afraid not, Dr. Glass. Although... I think we were successful in our last could could catch on that, by the way. Quick reflexes. I still think that Irik was right. If you stop halfway, the ritual's not meant to do that. I don't think I am enlightened to that, so I'm very sorry about that. Although I would love to see where did Trevor run off to? And as you begin to make your way out, Trevor, the body of Valadin that you're holding was moving a bit on your way out. Twitches of a faint flicker of life. And 
as you exit and are able to get outside, you see it's moving quicker. It twitches more. It almost starts to shake in your hands. Looking down, Trevor goes, oh shit, I break him. Uh, hold on. Uh, this, this works with me. Uh, he's going to, uh, while he sets Valadin's body on the ground, he's going to kind of stand over him and go like, uh, I ain't no doctor, but I know this. Wake up! And he's just going to give a stiff slap across Valadin's face. You see the light of his eyes start to glow, similar to when he was alive previously. You see, as the twitching starts to subside, he sits up quickly, surprisingly, mechanically, into an upright position. And there's a moment of silence as the rest of the party has now poured out of the building. And you hear, Hello, Trevor. Is, I'm assuming that Valden is speaking in the same voice. It's a little off. Hey, kind of cocking his head, he assumes that it could just be a, a product of dying and coming back. But there's still a little uneasiness there, because he doesn't know. Because... You know me? Cool. I thought I lost you. You okay? I'm glad to be back. I feel great. Let's get out of this place, shall we? Can I roll an insight just to see the extent of which I don't feel like there's, there's always going to be a part of Trevor that don't feel right. Looking at Valadin as he's speaking to him now, can I roll an insight to see the extent of which I'm skeeved out by this? Definitely give me an insight check. Uh, that's an 11. Without a doubt, there's something off about him. He speaks with a different intonation in his voice, different character. He speaks as if he knows you, but you could just as well have had a stranger walk up to you and say your name, and it might sound more familiar. Some reason, there's something incredibly off-putting about this, this automaton. <sighs> Trevor... Looks a little uneasy. Backing up, he goes, You, uh, we kind of lost you there for a bit. Do you remember what happened? Yes, my power source had depleted. I had fallen over in the room. I'm sorry, Valadin did not have a chance to say goodbye. <laughs> Yeah. It seems you were able to bring me back. No, 
the priest was able to bring me back. Well, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said that that was the plan. <laughs> I thought you was done for good. That's what everyone else was saying. He was trying to put you in some ritual, trying to fill fill your body with, with, with another soul or something like that. I didn't quite understand it, but um, what I was just trying to do was get you out of there. You know, I, when you was in there, you didn't seem like you liked it all so much. So I figured, you know, if I didn't want to assume what you wanted in death, but like, I figured you deserved to die with a little dignity rather than being thrown in some weird religious ritual, right? Um, you know, some people don't really get the chance to to die with dignity. I just figured I'd do that for someone who fought alongside me. He puts his hand on your shoulder, using it to pull himself up. That's better. And he looks past towards the group that just came out of the building and steps by you toward Dr. Glass. Dr. Glass, he looks at you in the eye his entire way, completely focused on you. Uh, I see you, Dr. Glass. Do I need to insight check to know that something's off, given what I just asked Nihilus about whether the ritual worked? I mean, I'd like to do some sort of check. Whether it's inside or arcana or what. Dr. Glass, as he walks over to you, you feel a presence. Like I said, similar to that sun in the dream that you looked at, far but close, as if behind you, but you could turn around and look at it. Something about Valadin says you don't have to turn around to look at it. It's almost as if it's before you. Valadin, though his in his physical body, looks no different. In the realm of the reach of your mind... He feels like a towering presence. Then she says into Valadin's mind, How shall I address you now? Valadin, Eirik, or something else entirely? He thinks, though his face still expressionless, you can almost feel a furrow of the brow. You should call me Luminoth. And we'll go to break there. Esper. 
As you look into the eyes of Valadin, as he walks towards Dr. Glass, there's something about them. They light with the same life that Valadin emanated at his best, but there's something behind them. A glow of the the eye of a darkness and radiance. It almost oscillates and immediately you're thrown back when you had a vision stepping into an alleyway looking past storefronts covered in petrified salt at the tower in the center of the citadel as before you light was cast nearly impossible to discern a shape was there that seemed to defy all natural form oscillating between haunting shadow and radiant brilliance and with that thought you're almost thrust back into the rear entrance to the offices of Dr. Neville Pettifogger. You had stumbled back in surprise the last time you had this vision. You woke up on her royal rose, but you're here, back, and in front of you, a silhouette of a petrified form, a being that, along with the city, seems to have frozen in time. And with that, you're in the office. What would you like to do? If there is a moment of recognition from one memory to the other, this newer-ish memory of what could be the future... Esper realizing that they have a second chance. They're going to approach Pettifogger. And they're going to use their fingers and those yellowing long nails to begin to try and peel the salt from his face. You dig your nails under the salt, chipping it away. And beneath is a bit of petrified flesh hardened through exposure to this salt all moisture wicked from it almost in an instant but you see the man what are you looking for signs of life with increasing fervor as you peel away the salt you see as with the rest of the city Dried in an instant, this man is far, far gone. No, no. And she's going to look around frantically. There's got to be something in this office. There's got to be, there's got to be a chart. There's got to be a briefcase. There's got to be even papers. There's got to be an explanation. There's got to be something here for Esper. You look for his office door and you find it. 
walk inside and you see stacks of papers, a bulletin board with prescriptions. And there you see prescriptions with your name on them. Many of them. Maybe 40 or 50 stacked on top of one another with a pin through it to keep it pinned to the board. All filled for slow ether. I do think if Esper can recognize anything written down, it is their own name. And if the scrawl is remotely familiar, they might even be able to decrypt what's written down to be some form of ether. You know, eyes are going to dart to all of them, taking it all in, a little confused. They have to get closer sometimes to some of them. If they look around, are they going to see actual slow ether? This room is packed to the brim with unused vials of slow ether. (laughs) Gonna shove down a bit of a a wretch back out slam the door shut and turn to Pettifogger is that is that what was going to be in store for me came here is it is it and she's gonna shove at the form it falls and shatters into pieces on the ground might as well have been him you don't you don't know what's wrong with me you weren't even going to try were you it was going to be more of the same You're not getting the chance. I'm not going. I'm not going to live my life under that shit anymore. Just kick a chunk of his salted corpse. I'll try to move out the door that she came into the building from. You step out back into that alleyway and find your way back to the street. The center spire still glows with this radiance, something atop it that you simply can't put name to. It's so formless, faceless, yet you feel its presence before you. It feels a little bit like that strange feeling you had when Valadin started walking toward Dr. Glass. In the alone space that is Esper's brain, there's nobody that Esper feels the need to look out for here. Not even Esper. So it is without much fear that Esper is going to begin towards the Citadel and towards that light. You approach the base of this spire. It's a 
obsidian-colored stone piercing through the ground, a hook at the top, a perch that something could sit on. And inside, as you find the massive doors that enter the spire, you see the back of Dr. Glass looking away from you toward the center of the spire where there is a lift. Is glass as normal as in is glass not encrusted with salt? You see wisps of salt on her clothes not quite like the encrusted shells that you stepped through in the streets or the petrified body of Pettifogger who you threw to the ground and crushed. She stands not as still as a statue, almost with that little bit of a teeter of what seems to be a living person. Esper will approach and reach up and touch the back of Glass's hand. Remember to protect yourself. Pull it away and move towards the lift. As you step by Dr. Glass, you walk forward into this machine that will bring you up or down within the spire. And as you turn around, you see the front of Dr. Glass standing there, not quite like a statue, but holes where her eyes should be. You see... She looks quite literally hollow as she stands in front of you. I'm very sorry. Whatever did it, I'm sorry that I couldn't be there to stop it. I think I'll go find out. And Esper will attempt to operate the lift to take them up. The lift creaks alive it almost breaks through encrusted salt to lift you up through the spire it keeps going passing various levels until you reach the very top it stops as the door before you First, the meshed metal grate of a door opens, followed by a heavy metal door. And you see what looks to be a throne room. You see the body of a king on the ground, crown still atop its head, but not in the throne, no. The thing you see sitting in the throne Valadin 
And while this is happening, while you are in the embrace of this vision, Valadin has approached Dr. Glass. He steps just one step closer, too close for comfort at this moment. She takes a breath and says to the group, Luminoth, apparently, this is our perhaps new, perhaps friend. Is this true? He points at Valen. While it's true, I'm here too early. I will leave for now. You're you're free to do as you want, of course. You're a free man, a free automaton. Would you mind staying and answering some questions? I'm terribly confused. How could you suddenly be someone else? Are you not the same person we, we traveled with? Nihilus, you have yet to learn the true nature of your religion before we can commune. Trevor. As he turns his head first and his body. You have yet an expiration date that you have not yet transcended. And Dr. Glass, you have yet to settle old rivalries before we can discuss the nature of Amalia. Esper is not with us right now, though I hope when she returns, she will come to know the ghost that haunts her. No, wait, 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 wait. Okay, you don't get to just drop that shit. Like, like it was something, all right? Where the fuck is Valadin? What have you done with him? I don't know who the fuck this this uh, uh, what you call L- L- Luminoff? What, what? I don't care. I don't give a fuck. What happened? What the fuck happened? And he's getting right up against Luminoth. This is the part in your story that is too close to tell. But let me assure you, Valadin is gone. Thanks to the actions of your master, I have been given the opportunity to join you on this pale rock. Alright. Okay, so... You're, you're not Valadin. Valadin's gone. Okay. I can't deal with that, but I'm going to have to, right? So, so what, you're, 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 you're Irik under a new name? No, Trevor. Looks back. Dr. Glass, do you care to proposition one of your many theories? And Dr. Glass looks pale, small, mortified. 
Doctor, something you have to tell us? I believe Luminoth told us you're not from this rock. I imagine you're from what we call the Void. Though that makes your name a bit interesting to me. Well, Dr. Glass, ever so clever. No. You're right to say I'm not from this rock. Though whether I'm from the void, I wouldn't want to spoil one of the many mysteries that allure you. Fuck all this shit. You know a lot? Some fucking genius or something know about me know about all of us and use that to to lord over us some mystery oh no you can't know yet it's not time time do you fucking understand what that means to me I know there ain't time Trevor what do you mean by that look look I don't know exactly what's going on this no validin was gone I, I read that on it how could, would you you're propositioning that you're another soul this Luminoth even if you are from another place another realm entirely I will deduct further into the research that Eirik has done to find out what exactly you are I'm not going to stop you if you are to flee I've seen enough violence today but we will speak again Yes, we will meet at the appropriate time and the appropriate place. But as for you, Dr. Glass, your Aunt Amalia is with Felix Royce, College of the Arcane Void. What? When you arrive, be sure to ask for the department on the Arcane Void. Perhaps attend the meeting you've been invited to, and later we can reconvene. He leans forward, this faceless robot that carries no expression, yet somehow a grin is felt on his face as he becomes translucent and slowly begins to fade before your eyes. Nihilus quickly, on a reflex, casts attack magic, trying to understand him just a little bit more. Normally, when you cast attack magic, it will illuminate sources of magic. It might even guide you as to what their origin is, what their type of magic is. Take two points of radiant damage as... The entire world around you, for just a moment, is nearly blinding, telling you that whatever magic you just saw was so strong, it radiated beyond a perceivable form. It was a blinding light around you that you detected. Oh, but God, Saurus, what even are you? Oh. I wish 
I could impress upon you all better that some of these things we're dealing with are larger than our mind's ability to comprehend and nihilists that yes will often mean attempting to comprehend them is pain and as she says all this she's staring at the book the infernal testimonium as she's come to think of it and Esper you begin to come to back here with everyone else two questions the first is when I saw Luminoth at the top of the tower was I struck with any kind of similar feeling I had when everyone in the town thought that I had gotten in the way of a loose firework in my childhood the glow of that firework was identical my second question is that when Esper comes back, is Validin, though translucent, still visibly present? You catch his translucent form fading just a millisecond before you're able to react as it fades before you into nothing. Uh, Trevor, seeing... Luminoth begin to uh, disapparate. Uh, doesn't wait until he's completely gone before deciding to turn his back and head back into the entrance to actually uh, go get Esper. Uh, and then just kind of stops when he sees you coming out. Oh. Hey. You alright? There's a look of First, it's being stunned, and her face is frozen and staring at the spot that Illuminoth just was. And her gaze is going to slowly drag towards Trevor. And the moment it does, it's like watching somebody regress and break down. And in their face, you can see as as their eyes begin to swell a bit and the chin wobbles. Esper is it just begins to sort of cry and then bawl and then she puts her head in her hands as her shoulders tremble and she's crying very much like a child would when they're extremely frightened. Oh, hey, hey. Uh, immediately just gonna go and close the distance. Um, get down. Say like, hey, hey. We, we did it. It's all right. I'm... <laughs> You're, you're safe. It's over. <laughs> she doesn't actually respond to you. Because she can't seem to stop the crying long enough to form even a, much of a syllable. Just slowly, surely. Uh, looks over to the entrance where the others are. And just... Uh, puts out a hand... And just slowly starts to. He doesn't really know Esper's uh, sensitivities, and but helps him. Uh, he 
puts out his hand and he just kind of clasps it on their shoulder. Doesn't grasp. Just lends a little bit of warmth as much as he can. It's so fast it might almost be frightening how quickly Esper's hands fly up and wrap around Trevor's forearm and grip it tightly. Feeling the strength from it. And there's a bit of a, like, a wince. But there's no more clenching. He just keeps it there. And just leaves himself to Esper's whims. There's, with physical contact, it's going to be clear that there's a full body tremble in Esper and that they can't seem to help the, the racking of the emotional response that's coming out of them at the moment. They're not going to try and squeeze any harder, but it's very much an action where Esper is sort of desperate for this grounding contact and is finding Trevor an anchor of some kind. And she's going to remain still like that for, I mean, at least a few minutes uh, before the tears begin to subside at all. And Trevor just kind of looks down. He's, there's a, a twinge of familiarity there, but it's not from a memory he's had. It's from an anticipatory feeling that he had in his past. And as Esper's small form just stands, just hunched over, fetal, just crying, Trevor can't help but to think about family he has back home, his daughter, he hasn't seen them in five years now. More. Can't be much smaller than what Esper looks like now at this point, but he doesn't know. And from the rush of emotion that Trevor has, from the jubilation of finally being where he belongs in the fight to the betrayal that he felt seeing Luminoth rise from the ritual that Dr. Glass condoned and performed to now just remembering his past and remembering his all too inevitable future he just kind of sits down right beside Esper keeps the hand right where it was just takes a deep breath just says you think about whatever you gotta think about you feel whatever you gotta feel you don't gotta say nothing or nothing I'm just gonna I'm just going to hang beside you for a while. If you want me to leave, I'll go. That got a momentarily t- 
tightened grip on the arm, but it, it relaxed again shortly after. That was the only moment of communication Esper really needed. Shoulders, arms, legs just shaking as as she stands there with her head bowed and gripping onto Trevor's arm. She's just weeping and weeping and weeping, and she can't let go of Trevor either. She apparently, she has to cry. She has to get it out. She has to put forth an emotion that she doesn't let herself feel very much. It's forcing its way out and through her. But there's something aside from that that Trevor gave Esper, and she's trying to cling on to that as much as she can at the same time. And the, with how tightly she grips him for those few minutes, a thought does cross her mind somewhere in the midst of all of that, and she wonders how much worse it would be if she didn't have someone willing to just be there and not be there in a hostile manner for it. But eventually she can. The trembling does begin to subside and and her, her breast can come ragged. There's so much sniffling going on. A few errant sobs. She's gonna take one hand and wipe her nose with her sleeve because she didn't have anything else. But she's not willing to let him go just yet. She'll say, He's bad. He's not good. It's not good. He's so... He's so scary. It's so scary, and I just... I remembered how that felt. I'm not good. I couldn't. And just kind of under his breath, just getting in close, just kind of whispers reassuringly just ain't none of this good darling ain't none of this good just kind of sits there in the distance the weather starts to gray wind picks up the flags and the camp start to whip the gusts of wind. Thunder is heard in the distance. And in the direction that you know is the shore, it's not far, you see the saturation, that salt that permeates the air. It's white glow in the distance somewhat brighter tonight closer even out towards the water I suppose Dr. Glass makes her way over to Trevor and uh, Esper back towards the cabin She, as she finds them she looks down Esper says now, what's the matter over here? Um, yeah. And it's only now that she will fully detach from Trevor and take a step away from him. I don't... I don't think... 
It's fun. It's fun. Just a little, a little shaken up from up and downstairs, that's all. I don't think Dr. Glass needs a role to know that that's not the case. Uh, she has her own interpretation as to what is the case. And uh, she draws herself a little bit straighter, if that's possible. Says, well, I'm going to go back in for a moment and see if I can learn anything more about what actually happened to Eirik that caused all this. I had suppose a, an actual autopsy of the brain is out of the question now, since it has been stabbed. But I'll see if I can... And she doesn't finish her sentence. She just walks past them into the cabin. You head into the cabin, down the stairs, and you find your way to the magnificent site that is the Temple of Bones. And there near the altar is Eirik's corpse. Seeing Dr. Glass go down there, Nihilus would follow. She notes Nihilus and says, Do you think it was Luminoth all along giving him instruction? Not Saurus or his own injured mind. Actually, that would be a proven theory, yes. He's not the same man I used to know. These are not the teachings of Soros. This is not what I believe in. There were too many differences. Something didn't add right. It was, it was not the man I once knew. If Luminoth was behind this, it could very well explain it. Luminoth, I think, is just a name for something else or a fragment of something else. I don't... I don't know if this is what happens to all of us, to my aunt, my patients. I don't... And she, once again trails off a moment and she says when I started out on this course Nihilus this hunt for Felix for I didn't tell myself that it was revenge but I suppose that's what it was a bit I knew that it meant changing myself Becoming more monstrous. But I didn't. I didn't think it meant discovering something like this that I'd been monstrous the entire time. If it makes you feel any better, I don't consider you a monster at all. The longer <laughs> we've been traveling, a closer friend, really. But I 
do understand what you're trying to say. Ever since I started my journey, I suppose if my past self would look at my the current me, they would not be the same. I want to uh, pray for these lost souls, and I mean to demolish the room completely. Yes, of course. I want... I'm, I'm rather torn. I don't know which of my impulses is the one to fight. I want to never have seen this place. I want to not know that it ever existed. And I want to know all the information that it represents. I'm not sure which impulse is the trap, the lie, the trick. Nihilus holds out his hand and you don't need any perception check or inside to notice that he's trembling. His hands are shaking. He says aloud, if it wasn't for you, my companions, I would have ran. One look at this place and it's pure evil. And she takes his hand and says, Nihilus, you're a very good man and a very smart man. And I'm not sure you understand that I may have just unleashed a very great, very powerful evil upon this world. Uh, do you? I wish I had an answer that's that easy, that convenient. All I can say is I mean to get to the bottom of this. What I saw briefly just now, it hurt to even try to understand it. I suppose sometimes the truth can hurt, and I do mean to get to the bottom of this. But I know I cannot do it alone. Well, what good is your faith if you don't have easy, convenient answers at a time like this, Nihilus? (laughs) All I can say is that working towards the truth is the true path to walk upon. Try to follow that impulse, I would suggest. I know, but there's always a mystery in each other and in ourselves. Uh, An opacity, a part we'll never understand. And I'm a bit worried that we're about to understand it. Um, Nihilus gives out a quick prayer to the room. In the embrace of eternity, I guide these souls. May your journey be light, your burdens lifted. May the afterlife welcome you with open arms, and may peace be your eternal companion. So it is done. Amen. And when the room is cleared of anyone else, he would hold his holy tome book. Would raise both of his hands, ever shaken as they can be, and he closes his eyes with a quick concentration and focus. He opens them and shoots out a 35 feet cube of water spouting out, liquefying the most of the room, if not entirely already. 
And after that, he twists his palms and slaps them together and casts Thunder Wave, but changing the element into acid, shooting out this shotgun of acid, creating hydrofluoric acid, melting away any bone, tissue, or anything that may remain in the room as it started to create this gas and destroying every little thing or cell left in this room. As he closed his book, which is almost the last of his energy of the day, tries to get the hell out. You coat the walls in acid as the bone melts. All that remains is the cavern beneath the earth, the dirt. And with that, the room is dissolved. While this is happening, and I'm not sure how nearby Dr. Glass is, does she hear anything in her mind? No. There's silence. Just, uh, probably, uh, looking from the outside in, seeing Nihilus coat the interior with acid and completely, uh, get rid of all imperfections. Trevor kind of looks to the side uh, over at Esper. Now that it's kind of calmed down a little bit, he'll just kind of say, I gotta say, though, what you did there was pretty badass. What part? I'm just saying, like, you know, as soon as we realized something was wrong, we all it took was a look, and you was ready to throw down. I I mean, if we weren't in some esoteric nightmare scape, I'd kind of recommend you for Merc work, honestly. You, um... Yeah, I I mean, I understand you're you're not a combatant, but uh, that ain't what they look for. They look for initiative. They look for get up and go. The chips are down. You really moved. When was I... When, when were we going to get another chance? I mean, it was there. We had we had to go. We had to do something. I guess. I, you know, I think I think I stopped thinking about it. That was what it was. I, if I thought about it, then that would mean that I would start to put questions in my head. But. We knew he was killing people. We knew whatever he was going to do was, it was going to be bad. It was going to be bad. And we knew, we knew that we had to stop it. And I, th- I think that that was just enough for me. Oh, believe me, darling, I agree with you. Just, would you believe me if I told you not everybody thought that way? They just, they just stand there. I believe you. You know, the best that you can do is the job you're given, right? Not all jobs go down so well. I know a lot of the jobs I pulled with the bulls, you know, we we did a lot of good stuff, but sometimes went pear-shaped and we end up going out with a tail between our legs. But sometimes it ain't always about the bigger picture. Sometimes it's the little things. Sometimes it's just you and the job you do. If you can be proud of that, that's all you need. So you're 
you're familiar with doing this kind of thing, even if it goes wrong, right? There's a half-second pause. He goes, Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. You know, when I was first getting in the bowls, I was a fresh-faced little pipsqueak. Well, not little, but a pipsqueak. Uh, you know, I was the newbie. At the end of a bad mission, I kind of... I beat myself up, too. Couldn't do nothing for nothing. But, um... Once you get a few more notches... You, you know better now. Yeah, yeah. Once you get a few notches in your belt... You know, you start to realize that... You know, something goes wrong, but you're still here. That means tomorrow's right down the corner. Tomorrow has so many possibilities. It can still go bad, yeah. But can still go good, too. And as long as you do your job, don't matter what the world does. You just keep trucking. Esper's, Esper's eyes are still quite deeply blushed with, you know, pinks and reds and there's still a few errant sniffles. But at this answer to their question, they kind of stand up a bit straighter. Fix some of their hair. The curls bounce around on her head. This is our job now, isn't it? Right, so. Can you... Can you teach me how to do this job better? I don't... And they're gonna look at their hip and then jostle the short sword that Trevor himself gave her. I don't really know how to use it. This isn't what I do. But if this is what we keep getting into, if this is how things are going to go now, can you teach me how to do it better? Trevor gives a big sigh. Well, I ain't so sure I'm a great teacher, but, uh, you know, like I said, I think you'd be just right for Merc work. So, uh, considering none of my crew are, uh, available at the moment, uh, why just, how's about we celebrate like proper black bulls, huh? Uh, Every time we finished a job, win, lose, or draw, we had ourselves a drink. We calmed down. We hung out with some uh, fine men, women, whatever your preference. And uh, we come at the next part of the job. Probably has something to do with that whatever it was stole Valden's body probably has more to do with Felix Royce but that's tomorrow could be good could be bad but that's later we we saved a bunch of people today didn't we I think I think that means that we did an okay job you did an okay job you did a great job you did your job. Like I said, as long as you do your job, that's all that matters. And, I mean, yeah. Yeah, we did help some people. 
I mean, they might, might they might not be too appreciative of it. We did just kind of crash their big underwear party. But, uh, I think the, if they don't come around, they'll at least live better lives, I think. I hope. As Trevor again complimented Esper and said that she did a great job, some of that blush from her eyes drained and went to her cheeks instead. And for probably, I think, the f- one of the first times, really, since we got on Crow Perch, Trevor's going to see a smile draw up across her face. And then she does a little shoulder wiggle. We did a good job. Yes. We did a good job. We can go back to the whaler tonight and we can celebrate. Damn straight. Uh, you okay walking or you, uh, you seem a little tuckered? I feel kind of tired in a way that I haven't felt in a long time, but. Here, here. I'm always tired. Bends down. I'm always tired, so it's okay. Asper, just like hop up. It's fine. Kind of kneels down. She'll hop onto the knee and then hesitate a moment to look for permission. As if asking if it's sure. I mean, I'm down here already. You're going to make me get up without you? Hand on the shoulder, just a quick flex of the leg, and she's up onto his shoulders. All right. Oh, good God, everything is so high. Oh, I know. It's awful. He just starts to make his way over to the rest and prepare to make final arrangements for getting out of here. It's not long before you're back at the Whaler Hotel. This wasn't far, after all. It was just a short jaunt over the flyover. You're able to come and go easily. Going through the city, you notice an air of tension. It's not that this was a joyous city to begin with, but it's especially solemn tonight. You're able to get back to the whaler, unfurl back into a place of relative comfort, take advantage of your free buffet of food available to you. And at some point in the night, Dr. Glass, you're able to lie down kind of with more peace with the book before you that infernal testimonium and give it a proper look over you lie in bed leaning against the headboard depends on where Esper is I want to be on my own to do it Esper actually she will have a drink with Trevor if he's down doesn't have to she'll have a little bit of it only a little she doesn't seem to want to get very buzzed and then uh, Esper will promise that she will be back later because Esper is going to find someone to sleep with first okay Trevor is definitely with Esper uh, at least for the beginning Uh, going like drinking probably twice as much considering their size. Uh, And he's going hard. He is taking advantage of that open bar 
free room service to its fullest extent, and he is having a lot of fun. Now, later on in the night, Dr. Glass, as you are in your room now alone, you hear the festivities going on between Trevor and Esper, some giggling, you know, these this jovial conversation between the two of them as Trevor's just unwinding. Esper is maybe winding up because she's going to be going out soon. Um, you're alone, and you're investigating this book. And to be clear, this book is written on human skin in human blood? The parchment has a vague familiarity to leather, yes. And the ink is of a maroon color. Dr. Glass notes that in a, with a clinical detachment that is by necessity as she sort of runs her hand over the page at first without trying to read the text. Because I believe correct me if I'm wrong, she still has a a very limited ability to read this text. Is that accurate? Yes. It's it's tough to read. It would take an academic a lot of time to decipher all of the meaning of the testimonium portion. The ritualistic portion, that is, revealed itself to you throughout the process of the ritual. And I don't think she found that odd at the time. You know, it was a ritual that was underway and uh, the person who had started the ritual and whose book it was told her to, and so that seemed perfectly magical. <laughs> uh, and But now it's just her in the book. And so she flips through it more slowly and methodically than when she looked at Nihilus's book in the carriage. And with dread, but with her scientific mind and work ethic, uh, in good faith, is going to try to be an enlightened one. Try to have that uh, interaction with this text. Please roll intelligence with advantage. Just the straight intelligence. I'm glad I had advantage. Uh, so that is a 16 intelligence. You look through the pages of the book, trying to experiencing it, trying to experience it like an enlightened one. It clearly holds meaning, and you at this point have probably discerned that there's more meaning here in this book guised under the Soros testimonium for one who is touched by the void than there is for a priestly figure. And you read through it, trying to gain just a little bit more of that astral insight. And then again... And again, and 
reading through the third time these passages, your eyes start to feel heavy and you almost don't remember falling asleep, but you must have drifted off. In the room, we'll see Dr. Glass, book in hand, kind of fallen over onto her chest as her eyes have closed. And Dr. Glass, you don't dream like those around you. You have a very unique kind of slumber. It's not a vivid tapestry of images, voices, experiences. Instead, you feel, as always, this sinking deeper and deeper into an abyssal tranquility, a vast echoing silence that almost resonates with another greater voice. And this time, you don't feel like you're far, far away in a distant place. Instead, you hear a light music playing. This piano in the corner. And you hear voices. You hear first a very familiar Lord Felix Royce as it seems to be talking to itself, yeah, pouring over in context oh, maybe maps or parchments or old documents. Wait, it's very similar to when Why you'd study together and so he'd talk layers. to himself, but as One, that two, voice three, fades, four. you then hear others. First you hear some chanting, almost sounds religious in nature. And finally, as you head deeper and deeper, you hear the voice of the later or the late Valadin, or we might say Luminoth. You hear It's strange is all I'm saying and that's coming from me. A female voice comes into thought. Yes, maybe it's strange, but I truly don't think she'll mind. I think when brought to the well, she'll drink. I know her better than you do. She won't drink. She'll spit in the well and try to destroy it. And that's Luminoth who says that? Yes. And the female voice, does it sound like Amalia? Yes. And you hear, hush, another time. And immediately, it all goes black. And that's where we'll end the session.